Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen concludes her two-part discussion with professor and dance and movement therapist Dr. Christina Devereaux on using dance therapy to explore attachment issues. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I am your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, joining you here from Shadok for another episode on our series, The Use of Expressive Arts in Attachment-Based Therapy. Today, I am going to be interviewing Dr. Christina Devereaux. She is an associate clinical professor and program director for the Dance and Movement Therapy and Counseling Program at Drexel University. She has served on the faculty at Pratt Institute and in the Department of Creative Arts and Therapy and as program director for the Dance and Movement Therapy Program at Antioch University in New England, which is a part of their Applied Psychology Program. Dr. Devereaux has been featured on National Public Radio and also has done training and consultation about dance and movement therapy all over the world. She's a recognized scholar, national and international presenter in the area of dance and movement therapy, particularly with attachment disorders, autism spectrum disorders, and trauma. So please welcome Dr. Devereaux to our podcast today. She will be coming right up. Hey listeners, welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I'm your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, here to continue my conversation with Dr. Christina Devereaux, where we're talking about dance and movement therapy in attachment-based therapy. So putting all of that together, and there are so many intersections to that, aren't there, Dr. Devereaux? (laughs) Indeed, nothing simple. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, some of the things that we were talking about last week, we were talking about attunement and and rhythm and, and how we get into sync with each other and all these things being so important to attachment, you know, as well as just some of the history of of dance and movement across the ages as a way that cultures connect and heal and share joy. And there's just so much. I wonder, um, one of the things that I, uh, you wrote about in one of your chapters that I read, and you've already alluded to this a bit, but I have a feeling you can expand upon it. Um, that movement is a channel of communication. That's a universal language. And then I just thought that was such a simple and elegant statement um, because again, so um, let me just say this. I, I'm a therapy therapist and supervisor, and we use a lot of rhythm and movement in therapy. And what that means is I can um, provide therapy supervision 
looking at videos of TheraPlay in another language because the language is just really, you know, not, I mean, the person can tell me what's being said and there are moments where that's important, but overall I'm looking for this, this um, rhythm and this back and forth and um, this attuned um, states between the, the individuals. And so I thought of that when you read that, it's like, yeah, it's sort of like why it's sort of like why words don't matter so much in, in, in therapy either. So tell mm. us, tell us your thoughts about um, how movement is a universal language. Yeah, well, um, I think we know that movement was our first language first, right? It was the way that we communicated what we needed. It was the way that we communicated when we were in distress or that we wanted to be close or far away. So there's this sort of implicit experience already within the body that um, through movement, um, it's mm-hmm. also developmental, right? Movement, right. movement has, a, has a developmental, we could certainly talk about developmental rhythms of, of where we get needs in life, that we use movement to take in information. We call this the kind of the sucking rhythm or taking in, you're doing it with your head right now, right? It's like mm-hmm. taking in knowledge and information. And, and as we grow and we have more developmental needs, it's commu- our, our body starts to communicate, um, particularly through movement. I think, you know, movement also as a channel of communication, it, it breaks down barriers, as you mentioned, of, of language um, and culture and difference and age or status or position and we call this kind of horizontalizing it kind of evens out the playing field right i'm thinking this could be a jump but i'm thinking about a session that i ran when i was doing a training group in um, china Uh and i was the only person in the room that really did not have a full grasp on um on Chinese and and Mandarin right I could not I could not fully speak the language and I came into a room full of children and boy was I met with a lot of appropriate hesitancy and um through the through our movement experiences this I had to be very slow but very slowly honoring the spatial distance honoring our um, the time boundaries, um, and then actually counting rhythmically in Chinese, then uh, I was able to bridge that relationship. And, and then we were able to formulate um, this powerful group that I'm thinking about. We were able to kind of formulate a connection as a result of that bridge. But, but we really read each other's cues all the time, right? And yes. so through movement it can it can be it can be a bridge or a portal of entry of building a contact if i honor your body and your body's expressions and we're honoring mine so it's that dance of um we try it and then we get a response and we try it and we get a response right Mm -hmm. so it's through that through that through that dance that we're really channeling communication Yes, yes, yes. Well, I'm also thinking of the term embodiment because that has been being used in neuroscience and, you know, in in therapy such as sensory motor psychotherapy and 
um, these, that, that could be an interesting quick comparison and contrast thing too, because they're looking at movement, but not in the way necessarily as a dance and movement therapist. Um, Mm -hmm. but, um, what, what does that term mean to you? Embodiment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think, um, it's the integration of our thoughts, feelings, and sensations, right? So Mm -hmm. it's, but it's really the staying awake in our bodies or, Um, you know, kind of holding and caring for our bodily experience, paying attention, having body awareness. Um, So like a, like a, like a real awareness around the integration of the two. Yeah. You know, it's, it's something that we inherit from the world around us or from our family of origin or our attachment relationships or societal expectations, sort of what do, what do I have to move away from? What do I move towards? Um, Mm -hmm. What are my expectations here? Um, Do I have to express myself differently in this circle of people versus this circle of people or, um, are, I just think embodiment is the integration of, of, of thoughts, feelings, and sensation and staying awake in it, like being mm-hmm. aware of it. Um, and certainly we move in and out of that, I think, um, in various scenarios that we're in based mm-hmm. on risk, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just thinking about my colleague, a colleague of mine, Christine Caldwell, who's kind of talks about not mindfulness, but bodyfulness, right? Oh, I like that. Yeah. But the idea of wakefulness is, is, is located in the mind only is kind of wrong. Right. So it's, it, it perpetuates the notion that the mind is separate from the body and it's superior to the body. So kind of by seeing, um, breathing and sensing and moving as valid and useful information generators. It's, it's on par with how we use thinking. Um, so we dance therapists kind of take a stand um, from that perspective of how we can be fully alive in our bodies and how we can bring the mind and body into balance. Because sometimes, right, we have clients that are overthinking or they're in their head or some that are having tons of sensations or somatic experiences and they, and they can't organize um, the, the mind and the body. So, so it's finding that balance or the kind of the bodyfulness of, of that. Yes. Yes. Well, and I'm thinking also about, I mean, we, we, we write, you read in the literature and we write about, the impact of physiology, um, how, how, how trauma impacts physiology. And even, you know, I mean, I'm thinking right now, like in a strange situation when, um, uh, maybe a baby, um, that is, you know, being classified as avoidant, but we know, we now know their physiology is elevated. There is something going on. And, and so I think we give a lot of lip service in, in psychotherapy today about the importance of physiology, but, um, and, and maybe we're, and so we're adding, you know, meditation, yoga, these things, but it seems that, you know, just by, 
the nature of what it is, you know, dance and movement therapists are working with physiology. I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'd like to hear more about your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I see myself as, um, or I see myself when I'm working with a client or as seeing their body as neurobiological communication, right? Uh-huh. So they're communicating yes. something about what's happening from a nervous system perspective. I can't ignore that. So, right. you know, if we, if we move away or if we run away or if we uh, um, fight or if we uh, express joy, you know, or we're, we're in a sympathetic state, whatever that is, um, it's, it's telling me something about their assessment of risk. And so now I'm bringing in a little Stephen Porges, right? Polybagel yes. theory here, um, particularly because um, we are always taking in information from the environment into our body. So, so certainly to me, I feel like it's, it's my, it's my third hand. If I can see the, the client and know that I am um, observing and experiencing something or observing something that's being communicated through their um, nervous system, I also can myself as a regulated co-biological co-regulator, right? I can use my body to explore different movement qualities, to expand movement, to diminish movement, to attune in a different way, to organize the movement, to provide different range of movement so that their bodies, our bodies, can have more options for how to cope with the environment. So if my body can move in an expanded, creative, expressive way with range, then I have more availability for how I can cope and be with all of the things that I have to tolerate in my environment. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking it's all about, regulation, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking about when people are in a fear state and, and I want to, maybe we can tie this into a specific case example. Um, I always like to have some of those as mm-hmm. listeners are hearing. I, I know I learned so much from like case examples, but yeah. what I was thinking about uh, when just now when you were talking was how when people are in a fear state, how rigid and even frozen they become. And so I I wonder if if you have an example of anyone, probably lots of examples actually, um, mm-hmm. of people who come in that way to therapy, uh, maybe lots of dissociation, um, lots of mm-hmm. freezing, lots of rigidity in their bodies. Um, and, and from your framework, how you might begin working with, I mean, of course, different for every person, but just some general ideas. Yeah. So I think when, when I, I also just like to add that when people are afraid, there's, there's lots of choices in the body. We can shut down and we can go into a freeze dissociative place if we're really in a state of life threat or emotional shutdown mm-hmm. or we can obviously we could fight or flight yes. so you know i think the the distinction is if i can be with that individual i'll give an example in a minute but if i can be with that individual and stay in relationship 
then we're activating not just we're we're doing a state shift, right? We're activating mm-hmm. not just our sympathetic fight or flight, yes, fear place, but we're also doing it within social engagement. So they can read my body, read our cues, so that I can stay regulated and can yes, which is what dance is. It's play in creative space. So it's mobilization without fear. Mm-hmm. Not, not always, right? But it's mo- the mobilizing experience in relationship. So it can activate both social engagement and um, sympathetic circuit. So gosh, I'm, th- I'm trying to pull from my um, Rolodex of- Well, of I was actually thinking about, because um, I another thing I, I read um, to prepare for our meeting was- with a family exposed to domestic violence mm-hmm. had a chapter about how you worked with the whole family mm-hmm. and you know how the mom would kind of the mother mm-hmm. I believe would kind of freeze up when you were maybe give the example of um setting up spaces how the children sort of scurried off to do that and I don't know I, I, maybe if you could talk about that a little sure because I found that really um intriguing how you explained all that yeah sure so this particular case example was uh, a family it consisted of two um children and and an adult and it was at a domestic violence agency so all of the children and the mother had been in some pretty horrific experiences um, in their family home and the the identified um, abuser was out of the home so they were kind of coming together as a family unit there was lots of conflict and the children, one of the ch- children, um, she kind of took on this position of taking care of mom and also bossing the other child around. So they each kind of had their own family roles, right? Yes. And uh, so we we were working um, on a movement level to to kind of re-choreograph, I'm putting that in air quotes um, for yes. you, uh, the, the, the family dynamics, because there was a there was a real shift when you, as you know, when when there's a shift in the family system, everything has to reorganize and come yes. back to equilibrium. And they were really struggling struggling with that. And, and mom would shut down. She would kind of lose her words. Um, she froze. And this was likely because this was the state in which she was living in, in her home environment and how the children had to adapt. So from a movement perspective, I remember a particular day where we were playing with a stretchy, kind of like a stretchy um, connective tool and kind of weaving in and out of each other to create a family knot. Uh-huh. And and they and then their 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 bodies were holding hands and were kind of you know twisted up, and we're literally in a knot, and 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 we were stuck. And so how do we how do we get out of this knot? It's very symbolic, right? So how yes. do we explore our way out? And each of the children responded based on their own um, role in the family. You know, the one of the children would, um, you know, get in charge and didn't listen to anyone and was like, we do it this way. And the other one would kind of go in the other direction. And then mom just froze. She just, she just didn't have any, any say. So through, through this kind of perpetual pattern, through this symbolic example, this was a real reflection of the, the attachment relationships that were, that were playing out between them. 
So we started to explore um, creating space in the room. Um, one session, I think I wrote about this in the article, um, where um, I gave them each kind of a like a special area, find a space in the room that's your space and kind of creating space for ourselves so we could come back to our own differentiation, right? And our own identities. Um, And the two kids ran to the edges of the room and created up their space. And, and mom just stood there frozen, kind of like I have, there's no space for me was something Mm -hmm. that she said. So, so we, um, that was very symbolic too, of really not feeling like she had um, any connection or any place within this um, family structure again. So, over time, over time, yes. and, and, and over time, yes. you know, really using, um, taking up space, um, how to use your voice and create space, um, how to, um, uh, have, how to, we, we played with leading and following in movement. I'm the leader now, now you all follow mm-hmm. and vice versa. So this sort of mutual exchange back and forth. So f- through, through several interventions, particularly around, you know, um, reshifting and re-choreographing the dynamics of the family, um, they were able to start to have kind of a, a new norm uh, mm-hmm. where um, everyone could have a say, everyone had a little bit more space and mom didn't shut down as much. She didn't mm-hmm. get so activated. She got more aware of her body sensations when she was starting to get hyper aroused. So that's a long tangent, but that's sort of describing yes. particularly the that was from a family perspective. Yes, yes, yeah. So interesting. Um, you know, I was just imagining when I was reading about this, and anybody wants to look this up, it's untying the knots, dance and movement therapy with a family exposed to domestic violence. And I was imagining, you know, the children sort of scurrying off on their own to make their little spaces and how hard it must have been for her to just not be able to figure that out and to just be mm-hmm. stuck like that. Um, mm-hmm. And then you coming in with your support you know, sometimes I say in in therapy play, we we're sort of like trying to help the parent child dyad create new music together. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. we're sort of like coming in as somebody that can help them not fall into that same pattern you know, that they're coming in with mm-hmm. us. And, and, and so it's similar because you're, 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 except we, we could use the term that I believe you used earlier. You're choreographing. Yeah. Re-choreographing. Yeah. Re-choreographing. Yeah. yeah. I, and I think I appreciate that. I, I think I see, I see the relationships as a dance. So I think sometimes I get confused in a session. I'll think what's going on oh, well, what's the choreography of this? Well, we have one person pulling this way, one person pulling this way, or Uh everybody's everybody. So then I think, all right, here's the movement dynamic. Here's the Uh dance of this dyad, this relationship. And how, what are the, where, where do we want to go? And what are the elements that we want to bring in or want to support in order to shift the choreography? And in the case of this family that you, um, that we just talked about, you know, 
the children needed to see that mom was a secure base for them. Right. Right. The, the, that he, that they could come to her when when things were stressed because they couldn't before because she shut down. Mm-hmm. So so ways in which they could um, connect with mom, they could build and and um, build a, build a more um, reliable dance. Right. When I when I move, you're going to move with me. When I do this dance, you'll you'll follow me. Um, ways in which they could send messages across from each other. And mm-hmm. we couldn't do that so much with just talking about our feelings. It was too activating for the kids. Right. So we needed to do it through through some relational movement experiences where they could feel it in their body first. And then when we could tolerate it, we could link it to their thoughts and feelings because it was out of balance. Yes. Sensations were overriding them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful to, to think about and to hear about. I know we are running out of time, but I can't, we, we can't end a talk about this without talking about mirroring and mirror neurons and co-regulation. <laughs> I don't know how we fit that all into a few minutes, Yeah, but there's so many pieces of that that go into what you do, just uh, mm. whatever comes to mind that you want to share about it. Sure. Well, I feel like mirroring is really the starting point. Um, it was when we were children, it's how we learned how to know that some of you're doing it right now you're nodding it's how we learned that we were we we were understood where we are is okay and oftentimes in a dance therapy session it's the starting point starting to i see you i hear you and where you're at is okay i'm going to join you in your movement um and then from there there's a there's that resonance right the right. neurobiological communication can um have a reciprocal um, impact. So I'm, I'm thinking very quickly too, even in my children, in my um, clinical work with postpartum um, parents and children, Yes. Um, you know, I'm thinking of a, a kind of more uh, current um, experience with a mom who was really having a hard time bonding and connecting with her son. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and had such a hard time specifically when she was breastfeeding and she felt like her son was eating her swallowing her whole and she needed experiences to sort of come back to her own body to feel um you know kind of explore the dance the dance of this connection um um through through bodily experiences so she could identify i am me and you are you and so we used different rhythms and sounding and music so that she literally started to dance with her child while she was breastfeeding. So it became a partnership mm-hmm. versus the child um, totally t- t- taking over her body so she could mm-hmm. still feel her body and her own sensations. And it started by really having the by learning about attunement and experiencing mirroring. And then that co-regulated experience then impacted this child was able to um, breastfeed um, more easily. He was struggling with latching on because she was, um, 
she was having a hard time with, Mm -hmm. you know, building that relationship. So that's, it's from the simplest um, aspect of mirroring is also joining with, right. And that's where we first start that. Yes. Yes. So could you share with listeners um, how, they find the dance I mean I mean I guess they could there's a national organization like lots of disciplines you could go and find people um, who have this certification and I'm also wondering how often people come to you I'm just curious how often Mm -hmm. they come to you directly or how often they've seen another therapist that that then thinks, oh, a dance and movement therapist would be m- more helpful in this situation than what I have to offer. I'm, I'm just, how did, how did people end yeah. up with you? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, right now I'm um, um, a full-time academic in a yes. university setting at Drexel University, and I direct a program of dance movement therapy graduate program. And we have students all over the city of Philadelphia in various settings. But there are dance movement therapists across the country and, and even globally. Um, the American Dance Therapy Association, ADTA.org, is um, the national association that um, where you could do a find find a therapist and and you yes. can find a dance movement therapist. I think um, people come to dance therapy uh, through different routes. Sometimes yes. uh, people find that they are struggling with using words to express their thoughts and feelings, and they might seek out an alternative way of connecting. Sometimes there are referrals. Um, sometimes people find that movement is more of a language for them. Um, sometimes, um, uh, you know, there, there's dance therapists that are working in agencies or schools or settings and they might get exposed. So it's a, it's a range, um, I think. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today and everything that you taught us about dance and movement therapy. Really appreciate you being here with us today. Thank you. I'm delighted to talk to you too. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Please follow our site, tkcchaddock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please visit tkcchaddock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.